Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. I'm the executive producer, Colin Morgan. Now, when it comes to selling your business, you're probably trying to time the market. But in today's show, John will explain why timing the market may be a mistake and instead will offer four alternative ways for figuring out when to sell. But before we get there, during today's episode, John references four previous episodes, which I have linked all over in the show notes page, which can be found at builttosell.com. Okay, so as I'm sure you're aware, the last few months in the economy have been turbulent. And instead of sharing another interview this week, I thought it would be helpful to get John's thoughts on how to time the sale of your company given the current state of the economy. Here to share with you his thoughts is John Warlow. Enjoy. Hey, it's John Warlow. The special edition of Built to Sell Radio is going to tackle the question of when's the best time to sell your company. You know, I'm recording this in August of 2022. And you may be sitting there wondering, man, did I just ride it over the top? Did I just miss the perfect window to sell my company? Is this now going to be some protracted recession where I have to wait on the sidelines for years or decades to sell my company? And I don't think the answer is yes to all that. I think, in fact, timing the sale of your business based on whatever's happening in the economy is a bit of a fool's errand. And I'm going to set up for you and try to explain why I think that and provide some alternative ways to you to answer the question, when's the best time to sell your company? To begin with, let's look at this. Are we in a recession? I don't know if we're in a recession. I'm not an economist. I know Jerome Powell thinks that we're not. There's two consecutive quarters of declining GDP growth in the United States. So it sounds like a recession to me, but maybe it's not. You know, the Unemployment rate is very, very low still. And as you know from recessions, usually there's a pretty cyclical uh, way these play out, right? So the economy takes a tank. It's usually triggered by some sort of shock or external event. Companies lay off people. There's the unemployment rate that goes up. All this demand gets sucked out of the marketplace. The government comes in, lowers interest rates, and people go back to work. The wild card here is unemployment. I mean, Given the fact that unemployment is so low, and particularly in the United States, the question becomes, how is this recession going to look? Are we in one? And if so, how is this going to decouple from the kind of standard process? And again, I'm not an economist. Don't play one on TV. Have no idea what is going to happen in the next 12 months. But I think if you're honest, nor do you, (laughs) right? Nor does any of us know what the next 6, 12, 18 months are going to look like. We can predict, but no one knows with certainty. And so it begs the question, how do I time the sale of my company? And if you're asking yourself that question, the first thing to know is that in an economic downturn, the price of your business will likely move by two turns. What is a turn? A turn is a multiple. Most companies, as you know, are valued on a multiple of EBITDA or a multiple of SDE. And so in a good economy, if your company is trading at five times EBITDA, 
in a terrible economy, it's probably going to trade around three times EBITDA, two turns of difference. If you're a SaaS company and you're in a great economy, your SaaS company trades at, say, six times revenue. And in a terrible economy, it might trade at four times revenue. In any event, there's a range that your company will trade within during an economic boom and bust. That's usually about two turns. And so to illustrate why I think it's a bit of a fool's errand to time the sale of your company, I want to use a hypothetical example. Okay, Imagine we have seller A and seller B. Seller A is the clairvoyant genius who times the sale of his business leading up to the recession of 2007 through 9, right? So in October 2007, he sells his company. I mean, this is the perfect time to sell a business, right? The interest rates are rock bottom. The economy is just on a tear. And the Dow Jones is at its all-time high of over 14,000. I mean, this is just the perfect time to sell a company, right? And so as a result, seller A gets five times EBITDA for his company. Again, business, imagine businesses trading or selling or generating a million dollars of EBITDA. So five times a million dollars is $5 million. Fantastic. Seller A kind of walks off into the sunset like a bandit, makes off like a bandit. The problem is the same problem you run into when you sell your home. You've got to live somewhere, right? So you've got to go buy into an equally frothy real estate market if you sell out of a frothy real estate market. The same is true when you sell your company. Whether you go buy commercial real estate, uh, residential real estate, vacation property, you put it in the stock market, you buy crypto, any of the potential ways you could generate a return on your money, you're going to invest into the same economic conditions as you sold out of. So seller A, who sold at the pinnacle, the very top of the market, gets to buy the Dow Jones at 14,000 points. So he buys that Dow Jones Industrial Average Index Fund. And two years later, less than two years later, 18 months later, when the Dow is trading at less than 7,000, his $5 million windfall from selling his business is closer to two and a half, less than two and a half. Now, let's imagine seller B. Seller B is not so smart. She hasn't really timed the market quite so savvily. She hasn't figured out the exact moment in time to sell her business. In fact, she rides it over the top and sells it into the teeth of a recession. January 2009. I mean, this is the nadir of the, the worst of the worst where you know pessimism is just you know, everywhere. And she sells her little million-dollar profit company for just three times earnings. Poor little seller B. She gets the trough of the market. She only gets three times for her business generating a million dollars of profit. So she gets three million bucks. On the surface, she sells for almost half of what seller A sells for. But guess what seller B gets to do? She gets to go invest in the same Dow Jones Industrial Average Index Fund. And instead of having two and a half million dollars in the stock market, she's got three million dollars in the stock market because she takes her three million dollar proceeds for selling her company for $3 million and she buys the index fund. And ironically, even though she sold the trough, 
she's got more money than seller A. And if they both just kept the money in the stock market over the next 15 years to the summer of 2022, seller A would have $12.5 million. Seller B would have $15 million. My point is that timing the sale of your business exclusively on what's happening externally in the economy is probably not worth the energy. First of all, none of us are that clairvoyant. None of us have a crystal ball to know when the peak is and when the trough is going to be. Second of all, you're going to have to do something with the proceeds. Likely, you're going to invest in an asset class that is equally affected, whether good or bad, by the same market conditions. And as our little example or between seller A and B illustrate, selling into a bad market is not necessarily a bad thing, provided you get to buy those stocks at a discount. And again, as I record this, I think the NASDAQ's off somewhere between 15 and 20 points. So one could argue that, you know, it's a bad time to sell your business. Another person could argue, wow, I get to take my proceeds and buy the NASDAQ at a 20% discount. And that really is my case for why timing the sale of your company based on the market doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, you may be asking, okay, well, what's the alternative? How can I time the sale of my business if it's not based on what's happening in the economy? I want to give you four alternative ways to think about when the ideal time to sell your business might be. The first is when you're risking your financial freedom. What do I mean by that? Here, when you start your company, your business is probably a very small percentage of your net worth, right? In essence, unless you raise a bunch of money or you inherit your company, your business is worthless when you first start it, right? But over time, if you become successful, your business probably becomes a disproportionately large portion of your net worth. It's not uncommon for me to interview people where their business became, you know, 60, 70, 80% of their net worth. They put everything they had into their business all the time, but also all their resources. They've still got a mortgage on their home, yet on paper they're worth millions. But in reality, a lot of that's tied up in this one very turbulent, privately held business. And so if you're dependent on your company to fund the lifestyle that you want to have, then I think it makes sense that when the business reaches a point where it could create the lifestyle that you want to have and effectively give you financial freedom, it may make sense to sell. Even though you may be leaving money on the table, you lock in financial freedom, making work a choice, not a obligation. Even though you may be leaving money on the table. You know, I just interviewed an entrepreneur named Rory Fat on Built This Already. I'll put a show note link for the episode. And he reminds me of this story because Rory built a great business. He did marketing software for restaurants and he expanded to different verticals. But it was a great business and profitable and successful. And one day he sat down to do the experiment to try to figure out how much he needed to live the life he wanted to live. And he did the math and kind of came up with his nut, right? How much he needed to 
generate in the way of annual income. And he got to looking at the math on his company and soon realized that by selling his business, it would generate enough of a nest egg in order to create that monthly income. And so he went out and sold his business. I think he got between four and six times EBITDA for this marketing software. And I asked him on the interview, I said, but, but, but Rory, I mean, you probably left money on the table, right? I mean, four to six times EBITDA is pretty good, but you had a software business. I mean, software companies you know, can trade at multiples of revenue, not EBITDA. He said, but John, you're missing the point. For me, I always wanted financial freedom. That's why I started my company. I wanted to have what I didn't have as a child. He described his childhood and his upbringing as being a time where he went without. And so for him, having that nest egg that would create that wealth was what he wanted more than anything else. And he deeply needed and felt like he kind of aspired for that sense of freedom that comes from being financially independent. And that's what he wanted. And he sold his company without regret. And when I pushed him and said, but do you regret when you see these multiples trading? I mean, are you envious? And he said, not for a moment, because I got what I wanted, which was financial freedom. So I think, you know, the first kind of lesson here, or the first you know, way to know when the right time to sell your company might be is if A, your company has become a big part of your net worth, and B, selling it would generate enough financial wealth to create the lifestyle that you want, you might argue that every day you hold on to your company, you're risking something you want, financial freedom, for something you may not value, which is just another zero in your bank account that you won't any, do anything with. I think it was Warren Buffett who said, you know, the definition of insanity is risking something you want for something you don't need. I may be getting that wrong in terms of the actual words, but I think the sentiment is correct. What's the second reason that you might want to sell your company? That is if you become sick and tired of what you're doing. And I mean sick and tired. You know, running your business, as you probably know, is oftentimes a 24-7 endeavor. I had the chance to interview Tim Ferriss a while back, and I asked him, you know, if you know his backstory, he sold a company called BrainQuick, and which gave him the money and the freedom to start writing books and become this global superstar. And I said, but but Tim, if, if, if your company was only taking four or five hours a week to run, like why not just keep it as a, you know, an ongoing thing? And he said, John, it only took four hours to run, but my mind felt like I was running antivirus software. And if you've ever used a computer while the antivirus software is working, you know the CPU gets really, really worn down and everything slows down. And for Tim, he said, yeah, it only took me four hours to, a week to run the company, but my mind was constantly like it had antivirus software, clogging it up, slowing it down. For him, he wanted that sense of freedom. And so I think selling before you get that tired or before you physically get sick is important. You know, if you look statistically at the reason people sell their company. And this will apply to you too. The, re the most likely reason you enter into a conversation to sell your company is number one, you get approached by an acquirer, which is a good news story. Or number two, you suffer some sort of health event. 
Now, what's interesting, if you look at both of those triggers, proactive outreach from an acquire or a health event, in both cases, you're on your back foot. You're reacting to something, which doesn't give you a lot of negotiating leverage, certainly doesn't allow you to negotiate proactively and from your front foot. But when you're selling in particular during a health crisis, as you can imagine, it's not a recipe for punching above your weight when it comes to selling your business. If you're negotiating the sale of your company from a hospital bed, you can be sure you will take a discount. It reminds me of another Built to Sell radio episode I did with a guy named John Clayton. This goes back to your three months. Again, I'll put the show, lo- uh, show link at builttosell.com. John built a marketing services business, similar to Rory, in fact. And his company was one of those businesses which was really, really profitable, in part because John never built a management team. He had a lot of people around him that did what he, you know, what they were told, but he never built and invested in that real C-level executive suite. And as a result, John was personally doing much of the work. So on paper, the company was incredibly profitable because he didn't have all the overhead and expenses of a management team. But he was working 20 hours a day, you know, night and day, seven days a week, just to keep all the, the plates spinning and all the balls in the air. And so much so that he became ill. He got shingles, which, as you know, is, is a disease and a, an affliction that usually affects older people, especially people who are immunocompromised, people who've, who suffer, uh, uh, you know, when their immune system is lower, oftentimes when they're stressed out or, or over, uh, overrun. And John got it when he was young. He must have been in his 30s. And what does an entrepreneur, a kind of a hard-driving entrepreneur do when they get shingles? Plow on! <laughs> he kept going, right? He kept going and going to meetings. And all of a sudden, he shows up one day at a retreat with his team. And his, one of his managers looks at him and says, what's wrong with you? And at the time, what they could tell was that John was laboring to breathe. And they quickly rushed him off to the hospital. It turned out the shingles was causing inflammation in his throat, quickly cutting off his air supply. Well, the doctors were able to reverse the condition, got his throat opened up so he could breathe properly, and the shingles eventually receded. But John was forever scarred by the experience. And even though he was in his 30s, a very young guy with lots of upside, he decided to sell his company. It effectively, fundamentally affected him for the negative. And he had a great outcome and a successful exit. Again, you can listen to the episode. But I think part of the story here is that you never know when you're going to experience a health event. And the last thing you want to be doing is negotiating the sale of your company from a hospital bed. It's a recipe for you know, getting taken advantage of and, and put, leaving effectively a lot of money on the table. So I think you want to definitely try to sell before you get sick or tired. What's the third way to know when it might be time to sell? That's when you want to go sue something else. When fundamentally you've just, you're, something has caught your attention and there's another business you want to go start, another business you want to do. Maybe it's a philanthropic activity you want to do. Maybe you want to travel. There's something that is taking your mind into another place. And you may say, well, why don't I just you know, keep this company on autopilot while I go build that other company? Here's why. I don't think that's a good idea. 
for many of us, we are in the early days, the growth engine for our company, right? We are the, uh, the rocket fuel, the very beginning. We're what moves the thing forward. But once you reach a point of maturity, oftentimes we become the yoke holding back our company, especially if it's a big part of our net worth we become more risk averse, more conservative financially, which can oftentimes put the brakes on the growth of the company. And what does that do? That affects your company's growth, how big and successful your business will get. And more importantly, it creates barriers to your employees to develop and to grow and to, to succeed. And so for a lot of reasons, if you've lost interest in your company and there's something else that's gotten you excited to go do, that may be a great time for you to put a bow on it, build it up, sell it, and go do whatever it is that you want to go do rather than try to be an absentee owner. Um, you know, most of us are happiest when we're creating, when we're growing, when we're, when we're innovating and least happy when we're kind of just on autopilot. You know, there are some celebrated examples of entrepreneurs who have done both start and scale a successful business. Bill Gates comes to mind. Uh, Jeff Bezos comes to mind. Uh, Musk. These are all entrepreneurs who have who started and scaled quite significant size businesses, multi-billion dollar in the case of Musk, almost a trillion dollar company. They're the exception. Okay, they're the exception, not the rule. For most of us mortals, we get our jollies from building, right? And solving challenges. And when things kind of mature, we often become saboteurs in our own business. And I think we'd be better off following in the footsteps of Laura Roeder. Laura Roeder is another Built to Sell Radio episode I've done in the last couple of months. Again, I'll put the show, lo uh, show link for you at builttosell.com. Her business was in the scheduling of social media announcements, similar to Hootsuite. It was a competitor to Hootsuite and some of the other social media scheduling software. She built it up, and I think it was a million or two in MRR, or annual recurring revenue, when she decided that she wanted to go do something else. There was another business that was getting her excited. She was starting to kind of burn the midnight oil thinking about that business, not the one she was currently running. And so she said, this is crazy. I built an asset. I no longer love what I'm doing, so why don't I sell it? So she sold it quickly. Swift Capital, which is a private equity group in this space, went and said, yeah, we'll buy the business. Uh, did she sell it for like a double-digit revenue uh, ARR rem model? I, I don't know. I, I, my sense is probably not. But that misses the point. You know, she built an asset. She was excited to go do something else. And she did that. And I think she is the benefactor of that and made a really smart decision. And so that's the third reason that you might want to think about selling your company. The fourth thing I'll share with you or the fourth reason I would contemplate selling a company is when you're on a winning streak and there's a lot of field left to plow. Think about a farmer. You know, if you go plow all the fields and you take all the, the proceeds to market, well, that's not too exciting for someone else looking at that, at that business, right? You, you wanna sell when you're on a winning streak, things are on the up, 
and there's lots of field left to plow. And I'm reminded of a guy named Rod Drury. Now, Rod was one of our, I got to say, he was in the first year of Built to Sell Radio. You may know the name because he sold a company called Zero, which, uh, not sold, he started a company called Zero, uh, which is an accounting platform, SaaS-based accounting platform. What's cool about Rod is before he started Zero, he actually had another exit, a company called Aftermail. And Aftermail was started around the time of Sarbanes-Oxley. You remember this legislation that came in the United States where, among other things, companies, big Fortune 500 companies, had to do a better job of archiving their email. Now, big companies didn't want to keep all of this sort of space on their service for their email. Again, this goes back 20 years, 2001. And so Rod came up with this company called Aftermail, which would help these big Fortune 500 companies deal with and archive their email so to be compliant with Sarbanes-Oxley and so forth. Well, Rod got a couple of early Fortune 500 companies to sign on. He got two businesses and he had a couple million dollars of revenue. Two of these sort of big Fortune 500 companies were using Aftermail. Now, what would most entrepreneurs do in that situation? You and I might say, okay, well, we've got two of the Fortune 500. Let's go get the other 498. They all need this. They're required to have a software like mine. Uh, you know, I've, I've been given this bluebird with this sort of Sarbanes-Oxley legislation. Maybe I'll just go sell the other 498. That's what most people would do, I think. But Rod's a little smarter than most of us. And so what Rod says is, well, who else could do this faster? Who else would pay to plow this field that needs harvesting? And he goes out and starts talking to Quest software. Quest was a, a VAR, a value-added reseller that had all of the Fortune 500 companies as clients. They already had pre-existing relationships with all these companies. And so Rod said, look, I've got two early companies doing this. Both are Fortune 500 companies. Both have proven that it works. Why don't you buy my company and go sell it to the other 498 clients you already deal with, you already have pre-existing relationships with? Long story short, Rod sold his $2 million business for $35 million. He hadn't even celebrated his third birthday as a company. Rod was on a winning streak, right? He built a great piece of software. He knew these companies needed it. He had this legislation that he could wave in the face of Quest and every other Fortune 500 company that needed the software to say, you need this, I've got it. Yet he had the discipline to sell his company well before it probably made sense to most of us to do so. And that's, I think, the fourth reason. When you're on a winning streak and there's lots of fuel left to plow, I think it's worth asking yourself, is now the right time? Again, I think it's really tempting to want to sell your company into a great economy, right? And then timing the sale of your co company based on what's going on in the, in the economy, how interest rates are, and what's the stock market doing. But as I mentioned earlier, in the case of the seller A and seller B, you've got to buy into whatever economy you sell out of. And maybe you think, well, I'm not going to buy the Dow Jones. I'm going to buy commercial real estate. Or I'm not going to buy commercial real estate. I'm going to buy you know, investment, you know, residential real estate. Whatever it is, chances are it's also affected by the same economy. Interest rates affect virtually every asset class. And so I think timing the sale of your business based on the economy at large is probably a bit of a fool's errand. But thinking about the four reasons that I shared today, 
I think can give you a better clue as to when to sell. Again, number one, when you could create financial freedom from the sale of your business, I think it's worth asking yourself a question, is now the time? You don't want to get sick and tired and sell from a hospital bed. And so make sure you sell well before you tire of your business or get sick for anything that would give you undermine your leverage in the sale of your company. Number three, when you've got something you're really excited to go do and you want to put capital against, that's probably a good sign you need to free your business up and find it a new owner so, so that they can realize on your vision without you acting as a, as a yoke. And number four, if you're on a winning streak and there is a ton of field left to plow, it may make sense to sell, even though the economy doesn't say that. I hope you found this helpful. I'll put all of the links to the shows and the episodes I referenced, Laura's, uh, Rod's, John, and Rory's uh, in the show notes. You can find it at builttosell.com. We'll be back next week with another interview with an entrepreneur. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode with John Warlow. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You know, part of my job here is executive producer of Built to Sell Radio is to experiment with different formats. If you've listened to the past, you know, 15, 16 episodes now that I've produced, you'll notice that, you know, we've had an interview with a choir, we've done an episode with an entrepreneur whose sale didn't go as planned. And then of course, today with more of a solo episode with John and I'd love to get your thoughts and feedback on the different formats we've been experimenting with. And if you like it, if you hate it, if you want us to just stick with doing an interview a week, or if you like kind of the breakup of adding a solo episode or of interviewing an acquirer. So you can actually reach me directly over at Twitter at built to sell. Again, you can reach me directly at Twitter. That's at built to sell. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, if you think of someone who would be a great fit right here on Built to Sell Radio, you can actually nominate them. You can head over to builttosell.com slash nominate, where there you can either nominate someone else or yourself to be a guest right here on the podcast with John. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling the audio engineering. And finally, thank you to our community of certified value builders who help us bring this content to you. Our advisor community are experts in helping you build the value of your company. To find an advisor or learn how to become one yourself, head over to valuebuilder.com. I'm Colin Morgan. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>